Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's really great to see you on this Resurrection Sunday on Easter, and we are certainly glad um, that we have gathered together this morning. Uh, I uh, would invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Matthew chapter 5, and if you do not have a Bible and want one, we can give one to you, uh, but the words will be on the screen as well. Uh, as we continue to worship, as we've done through uh, singing and, and prayer and reading, uh, and now through the um, opening and reading more of God's Word, I want to invite you uh, to um, be open and honest with, with your faith this morning. Uh, some of you here uh, maybe are guests for the first time, and we are so glad that you are here. Uh, some of you maybe are here as longtime uh, Christians and excited about worship. You may be a seeker or a doubter or a skeptic to the gospel, and we're glad you're here. Um, we just want uh, to have a time where we can be open and honest of the state of our faith uh, this morning and invite God by his spirit to stir up our heart's affection and our mind's attention toward him and to shape us to, uh, to see who he is in all his glory and grace and to have a fair assessment of who we are as broken people uh, because it's good news that Christ uh, lived a perfect life, died a death, uh, as a substitute for us, and rose again as a victorious king. And that's why we've gathered uh, this morning on Easter Sunday. See, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus displays his kingship over all creation. And this gives us hope in his kingdom. And this is the good news of Easter, that in Christ we are blessed and a part of his kingdom. The life of Jesus is one of many paradoxes, from the onset, Jesus is God who became man. Through his teaching, we see Jesus time and time again have paradoxes saying that the last will be first, that giving is receiving, that dying is living, that losing is finding, that the least is the greatest, that the poor are the rich, that weakness is strength, and that serving is ruling. And so today we're going to look more of the paradoxes of grace through uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, what's known as the Beatitudes. It may be a familiar passage to you, and I've thought about spending like one week on each verse, which would be awesome, and we totally could, but then I thought it would honor God for us today to see kind of a big picture of how the Beatitudes set the stage for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and actually show the characteristics of what it means to be blessed in Christ as a part of his kingdom that has eternal implications that are lived out here and now in the present. So it's exciting and I am glad that we can do this together because we see that Christ in the, the paradox of grace is that he saves us by his spirit. He shapes us to be imitators of him, to reflect the image of our creator as disciples who proclaim and demonstrate the grace of the gospel of Christ through our daily lives. It's a countercultural way of thinking. It's a countercultural way of living because if you look around, nobody would think that God could become a man. Nobody in our practical day and age would say, yeah, the last will be first, that giving is really receiving, dying is living, losing is finding. None of that really makes sense. But when we look through the lens of the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ, empowered by his spirit, we see that it is an amazing paradox to be invited into a blessed 
state in the kingdom of Christ. And so we're going to read this together. Let me pray, uh, and then we will dive in further. Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for your goodness to your people throughout all generations. Lord, I thank you that this morning we can gather as your people together. Lord, at any stage of faith, whether we are long-time veteran believers, whether we are new believers or not yet believers, seekers, doubters, skeptics, God, I pray that you would encounter us this morning by your spirit through your word, Lord, that you would open blind eyes to see, deaf ears to hear, that you would awaken dead hearts to beat with life, responding to the good news of the life, death, burial, and victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrate this morning. God, I pray that you would stir up our hearts and minds. God, that you would shape us for your glory and our joy, and that this good news of Christ would advance from our lives out to the nations, we ask in his holy name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, we'll read the first 12 verses. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word for us. Friends, by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are called blessed and a part of his kingdom of grace. And this morning, I want us to look at those two uh, major phrases that are used in the Beatitudes here. In fact, they open and close with the saying, the first and the last Beatitude begin with blessed and end with kingdom of heaven. So I want us to look at those two things today, what it means to be blessed and what it means by the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus mean by the kingdom of heaven? So first I want to say this, blessedness means divine approval. At its core, that's what it means. Now, maybe you have a translation of the Bible and blessedness can maybe mean uh, happiness or a joyful state. And those are all uh, ripple effects of being truly blessed, which is having divine favor. It means being approved by God because of the person and work of Christ. One author, Max Lucado, says, blessedness means having the applause of heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we strive to be approved of by people. You know, you want to do a good job at work so that your boss will approve of you, or maybe you're dating somebody and and you want to do a good job so that that person will like you more, or maybe you're in a crowd of friends and you want their approval, or uh, whatever it may be, we often strive for approval, and this can ripple out even into our journey of faith. Maybe you're here today saying, you know, I just don't know how God could accept me or love me because of all the wrong I've done. 
And maybe you come in here heavy laden this morning with uh, fear and shame and guilt from something you've done in your past or maybe something you're wrestling through in the present and you're thinking, why would God approve of me? I have nothing to bring. Others of you may be here this morning saying, you know what? I have everything to bring to the table. My resume is pretty awesome. Why would God not approve of me? And it's easy for us to fall into a spiritual trap of saying, well, if I can do enough good things, if I could be a good enough humanitarian or a good enough religious person, or if I could be a good enough humanitarian or or something, maybe then God will approve of me and we can walk before the throne of grace with pride. And so if you're here this morning and you have fear, guilt, and shame, or if you're here this morning and you have pride, I want us to take those things and bring them to the cross of Christ and lay them down so they can be destroyed by grace. Because the good news of Christ is that through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we are approved of by God. See, Jesus lived the perfect life that we should, but we can't because we fail. He died a death in our place, taking our, uh, the sin and shame uh, from us onto himself and, and being a substitute uh, sacrificially before God and destroying sin and shame and thus giving us the righteousness that is his and, and imparts it to us so that we can be called righteous, blessed sons and daughters of God. That's, that's good news. So take your fear, doubt, and shame and take your pride and let's lay it before the foot of the cross so that the grace of God can destroy it because blessedness means that because of Christ, we are approved of by God, that we have the applause of heaven, that we have the smile of God upon us. Here's the second thing I want us to see going forward of what blessedness is, our relationship with God, but also what it means, what Jesus means by the kingdom of heaven. You see, because the Beatitudes begin with this in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, so Jesus talks about what it means to be blessed, but also talks about the kingdom of heaven, right? Now, as a first century Jewish person who, who would have been part of the original audiences, Jesus is preaching to thousands of people. If you were a Jewish person, you, you may have different conceptions of what the kingdom of God is. For some, it was a very physical, practical kingdom. You have to remember during the first century, the Romans occupied this part of the land. Caesar was the emperor, and there was much oppression from the Roman government. There was much corruption religiously, and so many of God's people were expecting some sort of military victor to come in and run out the Romans and set up an earthly kingdom right then and there. Some of them thought this is the work that the Messiah, that the Christ, would do. Others also had the expectation that that the Messiah would come and not only jettison political oppression, but also kind of get rid of religious corruption and set up a true, holy estate of things in the temple. You see, but Jesus' kingdom goes far beyond that because Jesus is not only the creator of everything, but also the redeemer of everything. And so the kingdom of heaven that Jesus speaks about here is, is the embodiment of what it looks like when God rules and redeems his creation. Now this is some good news for us that will exist for all eternity, but the inbreaking of that kingdom is here and now. And this is what Jesus teaches. This is not something, some military victory that happens immediately in the first century, nor is it some ethereal thing that will happen billions and billions of years in the future when Kurt Cameron does his thing and all that kind of great stuff happens. No, the kingdom of God exists in in an already but not yet tension that the kingdom of God has broken in due to the inaugurated work of Christ that will be eventually completed in all eternity. And this has some 
characteristics here and now for us with others. So often explain it this way. If you've ever traveled out of the country, maybe you have a passport, right? If you have a passport, you open it up, it'll have your picture in it, and it'll have your name, your, your identity. It'll also have your country of origin to let people know not only who you are, but kind of what community you belong to. And there's certain expectations that come with you as, as a citizen of whatever country that is. You're to conduct yourselves in a certain way when you travel to a different country. So in the same way as Christians, we are citizens of Christ's kingdom. Our divine passport has our identity on it, in it, and has the community which we find ourselves a part of as Christians, part of Christ's kingdom. And there are certain characteristics and responsibilities that go along with that for us to live here and now. So here's what that looks like. Blessedness and the kingdom of God Jesus describes throughout the Sermon on the Mount and in the Beatitudes, the section we're looking at this morning. Let's look at them. There's, there's eight. We're going to move kind of quickly. All right, the first is this in verse 3. <clears throat> As Jesus opens his mouth and teaches, he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what I want us to look at is what it means to be blessed in the kingdom of heaven and regarding poverty of spirit. What is that? That's a countercultural thing. That's a paradox of grace. We live in a society that's all about self-aggrandizement. I'm not going to make fun of anybody because I've done it too even this morning, but did you post something on Facebook this morning that had nothing to do with Jesus? I did. I posted something about jelly beans. Did you take a selfie, put it on Instagram of how cute you look? It's not a bad thing. But our society is shaped around self-aggrandizement, drawing attention to ourselves and our lives, while the gospel of grace is about poverty of spirit. Now, that does not mean absence of self-worth. Maybe you have this concept religiously that poverty of spirit means you you have no self-worth, that you're just a worthless person. That's not the gospel. God has created people in his image If you are a person, you are created in the image of God, hands down. You have worth and value because God made you. Period. Poverty of spirit does not mean that you have absence of self-worth. Rather, you have great worth because God created you. You mean something to him. This is why Jesus came to bring redemption, to rescue you, to restore you. Poverty of spirit means an acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy. It means acknowledging that apart from God's intervention, your spirit is is broken. Just look around at the evidence in your own life. Look at the evidence in the world around us. There's plenty of brokenness to witness. Poverty of spirit means that you are not self-sufficient and aggrandizing, but rather you are leaning in on the creator to come rescue you and restore you and sustain you. And that's really good news. So Jesus says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you want divine approval and if you want a part of Jesus' kingdom to see what, what the kingdom of God looks like, it, it means acknowledging not absence of self-worth and not prideful self-aggrandizement, but rather 
poverty of spirit that you need to be rescued by a king who loves you. Let's move on. Verse 4 says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning is in regards to mourning the brokenness around you. Now, there's plenty to mourn. Maybe the hard things from your past, maybe the struggles of your present. We can mourn sickness. We can mourn death. We can mourn broken relationships. And one commentator says this, the saddest thing in life is not a sorrowing heart, but a heart that is incapable of grief over sin, for it is without grace. Without poverty of spirit, no one enters the kingdom of God. Likewise, without its emotional counterpart, grief over sin, no one receives the comfort of forgiveness and salvation. Friends, do you mourn the brokenness around you? It's actually far easier to try to water it down so that you don't mourn it, to say, you know what, that's not such a bad thing. Maybe you turn a blind eye to some wickedness or brokenness, or maybe you try to uh, minimize the effects of brokenness and sin because you don't want to offend anybody, or maybe it makes you feel gross and uncomfortable, and so we try to minimize things and, and say, look, it's not that bad of a thing, just live and let live. Really, that's more of a sadness, is incapable of grieving sin rather than mourning brokenness. Now, we mourn brokenness by leaning in on our Savior within our spiritual poverty. Are you with me? It's not saying, well, because I'm not so wicked and that person is, that's gross, that's bad, that's evil. Rather, we say, God, what a broken state we see our world in. What a broken state we see our friends and family in. What a sense of brokenness we feel and we acknowledge the spiritual poverty of our own selves and lean in and say, Jesus, we need to be rescued. To which Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. You have divine approval and comfort through Christ by God your Father in the kingdom of heaven. Mourning the brokenness of sin. In fact, Martin Luther in his famous 95 Theses states that the entire life of a Christian is to be continuous repentance and contrition. That means ongoing mourning for brokenness and sin. The brokenness that you experience in your own life, the sin that you have in your own life, and also that around us. But the promise is there. They will be comforted. Comfort's such a beautiful term. It's the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit as a comforter, as God's comforter for us. And that is a promise from the mouth of Jesus. Let's look at verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness. That just happens to rhyme. I didn't write that to be catchy, but it's true. Meekness is not weakness. Maybe your Bible version says gentleness. What, what that means is not cowardice or spineless timidity or the willingness to have peace at any cost. Meekness, gentleness, means an understanding of where you find the source of your strength. Where do you find the source of your strength? Physically, mentally, educationally, 
It's really easy for us to find pride in the resume we have or the degrees that we have on our wall. It's very easy for us to find our religious pride in what we do. Now remember, Jesus was preaching this in front of a primarily Jewish audience who during the first century they were experiencing uh, Roman political corruption. They were experiencing some religious tension with the religious leaders who were saying you must do X, Y, and Z to be approved of by God. You must do X, Y, and Z to be a part of God's community. And so it's very easy for us, like them in the first century, to find our strength in what we do religiously, but rather Jesus says gentleness, meekness, not finding strength in yourself, but finding strength through me. Moving on, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed, what does it mean to be approved of by God? What does it mean to be a part of God's kingdom? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This morning, I mentioned this already, so we're just going to do it again. This morning, I have four children. I have four children for years now, not just this morning, but this morning I still have four children And they came downstairs and went straight to the kitchen table, which they found four Easter baskets, right? And we uh, put peeps in them because that's what you do. I actually made a run to the store last night because I was like, we don't have any peeps. It's not Easter without peeps. So I went and got peeps. Walked into Bilo. The manager was there marking them down. So I got them like half off already because I was procrastinator. Anyway, so we we had jelly bellies in this big jelly belly dispenser, you put a penny in and it spits out jelly beans. And then we had peeps. And my, young, my youngest daughter, bless her heart, ate five peeps. Like she just like peep, 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 peep. And I was just like, whoa, have fun in nursery this morning. So there, if you hear anybody screaming, it's because Nora had five peeps. But there was this insatiable craving for peeps this morning and for jelly beans. And my kids are totally jacked up on sugar. And we try to force feed them some eggs to like offset with protein. But if you're a kid, you know, and if you like jelly bellies, which I do, uh, you can't just have one. It's like, wow, that was awesome. Cinnamon and then, oh, wait, popcorn flavored. And then before you know it, if you're like me, it's just up to your elbows and a bucket of jelly beans just shoving them in. See, That's kind of the grace paradox of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You see, we live in a broken world where we strive after righteousness. That means what's right, what's right relationally between us and God, what's right with each other. We want to be right. We want to have righteousness and experience a rightness between us and God and a rightness with each other. And there's ways we try to do that by, by doing the right things and acting the right way religiously and spiritually. But, but Jesus says, if you, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to be satisfied with rightness, only Christ can do that. It's a continual craving, a hunger, a thirst that's ongoing. It's like wanting one jelly bean and then five and then 10 and then 15 jelly beans and then peeps and just an insatiable craving for something that's so sweet and so good, and we reach, that, we reach for that in so many different ways, only to be left unsatisfied. What are the ways you seek to be made right? Well, what are some ways that you seek to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others? Sometimes it's really good things. It's not bad, but it's just it'll leave you feeling not fulfilled. It will leave you a little bit short, right? 
I mean, I don't know what your journey of faith looks like. I'm 38 years old. I became a Christian 30 years ago this summer. I was eight years old, started reading the Bible, got baptized, all that good stuff. And for 30 years, my journey of faith has taken me to be uh, on one extreme of being a very licentious person, just, hey, anything goes, live and let live, to being a really, uh, you know, kind of a tightwad legalist where I was just like, don't say anything that remotely resembles a bad word or just anything like that, which is okay. It's part of my story, maybe part of your story. But I've seen that on one extreme and the other, both were leaving me still craving righteousness before God. Because no matter how bad I was, I wasn't going to be good enough for God. No matter how good I was, I wasn't going to be good enough for God. Which means I lean in on the work of Christ. He satisfies your craving and thirst for righteousness. And that is good news. We're going to move on. So we're going to tie it all up at the end here. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is such a beautiful biblical concept. Mercy is active grace. Mercy is not passive. It's very active. Mercy is not just saying we're not going to let that happen, but, but mercy is saying we're going to actually make something good and ha- we're going to bless somebody. We're going to do good to somebody who is undeserving. It's a beautiful portrait of the gospel. Here is Jesus himself saying, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Jesus, who is God incarnate, coming into a dirty, broken world, preaching the good news, demonstrating the effects of the good news, healing, feeding thousands, even those who didn't follow him, he still fed them. Even those who didn't always follow him, he still healed them to show his goodness and his kindness. Mercy is very active. And the merciful person remembers his own sin and brokenness and God's mercy to him. He understands the weakness of others and he forgives. I want to ask you to kind of assess your heart in that area because I have to do this all the time. How easy it is for us to say, well, I'm not going to extend mercy to that person because they don't deserve it. Meanwhile, forgetting we do not deserve the mercy that God gives us. So the merciful person remembers his own or her own poverty of spirit, her own need for intervention from the God of grace. The 80s movie, The Karate Kid, you may remember. Yes, sensei, mercy is for the weak. You remember that? When they're all like in the dojo fighting, mercy is for the weak. What is the problem, Mr. Lawrence, that scene? That's the world's way of looking, saying mercy is for the weak. You must exact justice. You must show your strength. You must put people in their place when they are wrong. That's the way of the world. That's the way of Roman politics in the first century. That was the way of uh, the religious system in the first century. And so Jesus, preaching to thousands, says, no, mercy is not for the weak. Mercy is for the strong. Mercy is countercultural to political um, exacting of fairness. Mercy is countercultural to religious do better, try harder. Mercy is active grace. And that's what Jesus embodies himself. Verse 8 says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart means unmixed devotion. It does not mean that you are perfect religiously or perfect spiritually. It means that you can have your doubts, you can have your fears, you can have your uh, struggles and brokenness It's sin. It means you bring that before God with unmixed devotion. 
Have you ever tried to clean yourself up to do better and try harder before you come to church? Have you ever come to church thinking, well, I'm just afraid my, uh, my breath may still smell like something from last night or I need to wash the filth off me before I come to church? That is not really purity of heart. Purity of heart means having unmixed devotion. It means walking before the Lord saying, here is my junk, I'm devoted to you because I cannot clean up myself. No religious system, no humanitarian system, no educational or intellectual, philosophical, anything can fix me and I'm not even going to try. One Arthur said it this way, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's good news. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Just for the record, linguistically, sons of God means children of God, sons and daughters of God, men and women, boys and girls, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I love this one. Peace is is an ongoing theme of the Bible. Shalom, it means a right relationship with God, a right relationship with others. It means no strife, but everything is good. And I love the fact that Jesus says peacemakers. That means that peace is active. It means waging peace. Isn't that weird? Often we think peace just means, hey man, just back off and let's do anything to keep everything quiet and make sure we don't ruffle any feathers and make sure everybody is, is nice and calm, right? That's where we often think we are being peaceful when we try to step out of the way so we don't offend people. We try to step out of the way and live and let live. And that actually is not being peaceful, that's just being passive. Active peacemaking means stepping into the situation with grace, not with violence or rudeness or arrogance, but stepping into a hard situation and actively bringing grace, bringing mercy, bringing peace, bringing gentleness. And Jesus says here, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. It's the the children of God exhibit the characteristics of God. Jesus is God in the flesh waging peace on corruption, and turmoil. St. Francis of Assisi said this famous prayer, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hate, may I bring love. Where there's offense, may I bring pardon. May I bring union in a place of discord. And that is a good prayer for us all. Finally, I want us to see this at the end. Verses 10 through 12 say this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The final thing I want us to look at is ongoing joy. Ongoing joy. We've seen that being blessed, having a right relationship with God and being a part of his kingdom, not only for eternity, but, but exhibiting those characteristics here and now means having poverty of spirit. It means mourning brokenness. It means having a gentle, meek spirit. It means continual craving for God. It means mercy, active grace. It means having unmixed devotion with a pure heart. It means waging peace as a peacemaker. And it means having ongoing joy for righteousness. You see, ongoing joy, it's not a one-time thing. Rejoice and be glad in verse 12 is ongoing joy, ongoing gladness because of righteousness, even if the circumstances are hard. 
All you have to do is turn on the news and see uh, those worldwide being persecuted for their faith, those being um, facing uh, violent acts. Many are facing death. Many are facing um, unfair situations. And we look at that and see the brokenness. And, and Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So we've looked at these things today and I want to ask you a couple things. I, don't, I didn't want to list out eight things for us to do better and try harder. I don't want to say, hey, everybody try to be more peaceful. Everybody try to be more merciful. Everybody have a pure heart and don't think about anything dirty today. That would not be the gospel. That would just be some religious moralistic list. And I don't want to give that to you. I would invite you today to sit down and look at this text of scripture again. And in fact, I would challenge you to read all of chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, and look at it through the lens of the grace of the gospel. This is not a list of what you are to do to be a better person, but rather it is the characteristic traits of the kingdom of God that Jesus brings to us. It's characteristics of those who are, are blessed. That means having a right relationship with God because of Jesus. These are things we can't fake in our own strength. These are, these are characteristics we can't do on our own uh, because they have no power behind them. But the power of the gospel that is ours in Christ by his spirit is that these things manifest for his glory and our joy and the good of his people worldwide. And so I want to invite you to do that uh, today. I want us all to, to take time to assess our relationship with God and with others, no matter where you are in your journey of faith. If you are not a believer, I would invite you to come and know this Christ. If you are a believer, I want you to join me in repentance of our sin. You know, confess our brokenness, confess our pride. It's in all of us, it's in me. Uh, it's in all of us, and, and to confess our pride and brokenness and turn to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Jesus said to a woman in, in the Gospel of John, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so I want to pose that question to you today. If you are a Christian or if you are not a Christian, I want to ask you that. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And we'll have a time of response. As we do, there will be prayer members in the back. They'll have little orange lanyards. If you want to uh, talk about anything, go see uh, one of these people. They will talk with you. They will pray with you. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian for the first time and have someone invite you on this journey of discipleship as, as a blessed person, as part of Christ's kingdom, talk to them. And they will help walk you through that. If you are a person here who just needs uh, to have someone um, help you uh, repent of sin and brokenness, uh, go to them as well. If you need comfort, if, you need, uh, if you're mourning over sin, if you have tension and need peace, uh, we can look to Jesus together. So see one of these people in the back and they will help you with that. If you are a believer, uh, there's other ways that we can respond before you. You'll see the communion table set where we have bread that represents the body of Christ and wine and juice that represents the blood of Christ. Um, you tear off the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice that remembers uh, as a way for us to worship through remembrance of who Christ is and what he did for us. 
uh, as a way for us to proclaim that good news over one another as well. Also, if you are part, um, oh, and to do that, just make sure you just come walk down the center aisle and fan out that way. That'll help the traffic flow a little bit uh, as well. If you're also part of Redemption's uh, ministry, there's a giving basket in the back uh, for you to worship in that way as well. Uh, Let me pray, and then the worship team will come back up and facilitate uh, worship for us. Father God, we thank you for this morning again, Lord, to worship you uh, because of who you are and what you've done for your people throughout all generations. God, I ask that you would continue to work in our hearts and minds now. God, that you would... um, Bring to mind any brokenness or sin, God, any fears, doubt, uh, pride, anything that we are dealing with, Lord, and that we would bring that to you at the foot of your cross and that by your grace you would destroy it and that we would be people known uh, for uh, poverty of spirit, for um, mercy, for peace, for uh, ongoing joy that we find in you, Jesus God, for those who don't know you uh, this morning, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would awaken their hearts to beat with life in the gospel, bring about understanding, confidence, joy, and comfort by your Spirit to them. Lord, for those who do know you, God, I pray that you would invigorate and and reignite within us a joy and zealousness for your gospel. God, for those who are mourning and need comfort, God, I pray your comfort of peace upon them. Lord, you're very good to us, and we thank you for the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate this morning. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.